my friends. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Those for you who faithfully listen, God bless you. Thank you for being here. For those of you who are just passing through, this is your first or second time. I am so glad that you are here as well. Last year was one of the best years that we've ever had as far as impacting lives with the practical message of Jesus Christ. It is what we do, and I trust that 2021 will be very similar, that we'll be able to reach even more people. And there's never been a time in the history of my life where reaching people has been as important compared to the world spinning out of control, where the world is spinning faster out of control than any time in my lifetime. Therefore, The need to be able to reach people is at an all-time high. There are people that aren't discouraged. There are people who are politically homeless. There are people who are struggling in ways that they have never considered before. The stability that they once had is not there any longer. They feel the ground moving underneath them, and they need something stable. Well, you know what that stable, who that stable person is, and we want to be able to reach them. And so thank you for those who not just listen to these podcasts, but you share this and our resources with other people, and I want you to continue to do so. I do have a favor to ask for those of you who have not written a review for any of our episodes, our podcasts, Life Over Coffee or Your Daily Drive, would you do that? Would you make a note right now to write a review and to give us a five-star rating if you appreciate these episodes? And the reason I ask you to do that is because it does affect the algorithms. And the better the reviews and the ratings are, the more people that we can reach, and that is what we are about. And we are positioned uh, to be able to do that, and you can partner with us that way by simply writing a review. And so if you haven't done that and you do benefit from these podcasts and other resources that you read where you can write a review, like my books on Amazon, if you would do that, I really would appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was talking to a young couple this week, and the lady was telling me that she really appreciates the stories of Biff and Mabel, that she can relate to Mabel. And I was glad to hear that, especially from a person in their early early 20s. That's not our typical demographic. Our demographic is 35 to 65 years years of age, but when a young person like that reads something and they can relate to it, that's very encouraging to hear. And then tied to that, we had a a backstage conversation this uh, past week with our mastermind team on our forums. Now, we we talk to our students all the time, but we had a specific conversation this week about secret marriage sins, and they were asking me some specific questions, and it, it turned into a conversation with them. And I thought because of the importance of the topic, uh, secret marriage sins, And the conversation that we had, and one of our students said, you know, this is something that I've thought about often. And then another person chimed in and said, well, I've thought about it too. And one of our students is a pastor and something that they deal with. And in my counseling life, this is something that I have uh, dealt with often. And so after that conversation, I thought it would be good to bring Biff and Mabel back out and uh, share another story in their life, and that's what this episode is about. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you to put on your discipleship thinking caps. 
And I want you to answer Biff's question. And the title of the episode, this is episode 289. I'll give you the setup in just a moment. But it's episode 289, and the title of it is, What is the best way to handle secret marriage sins? And that's what I want you to, and maybe what you could do is that you could stop the audio and just write down, this is how you, do you confess it or not? That's the question that I'm asking. And you can write down your thoughts. And I want to walk through it, then we can compare notes. You can compare notes with what I share here. And I trust it will benefit you because this is a common scenario. There's several ways that you could come to this place in your marriage. Let me give you two illustrations of it. For example, let's say that Biff gets saved in the marriage, or he is a Christian, but he turns his heart back toward God. He gets right with God. And then as he does that, he begins to think about things that he did in his marriage against Mabel. And so the question is, should Biff confess those sins to Mabel? Now, another way that that can happen is that a young couple can get married and and they move in along for a year, two, three. And then one of the spouses starts feeling conviction about something that they did, either before they met their spouse, before they started dating, or while they were dating, but they were never straightforward and transparent about it. And so now they're under conviction, and they realize that, you know, my spouse doesn't know this. Should I confess this to my spouse? Those are just two scenarios that can happen, and there are others, but this is a common discipleship situation. And so what are you to do with unconfessed past sins against your spouse? That's the question. Now, what are the questions you want to ask if you're helping someone who wants to come clean? So in this episode, Biff sinned against Mabel years ago. And after keeping it a secret, he's now at the place that he wants to confess it. And he's in front of you asking you the question, why should he confess? Or if you take the other position, why should he not confess? And so put on your discipleship thinking caps, and maybe this is a good time to stop the audio. How will you lead Biff through this common marital dilemma? It would be great if you're listening with somebody right now that you all talk about it, and then pick up with what I'm going to share after you have a conversation or after you write down whatever it is, your thoughts about this idea of confessing secret marriage sins. Episode 289, I have an outline here, and I'm going to share that outline with you, and you can look at it. For those of you who have secret marriage sins, I would encourage you to listen to the rest of the podcast and then use the outline because there are a lot of embedded links inside this uh, in, in episode 289, these show notes here. And you can this could be a, a six-month homework assignment, and it could truly benefit you as you think through what you should do uh, with your spouse. And those of you who are doing the work of counseling, well, you could use this as a homework assignment, and you could also use this for your personal benefit to sharpen uh, your counseling skill uh, as you interact with these situations, because if you do a lot of discipleship, you're going to have this eventually. Many of you have already ha- have had it. All right, so let me work through my outline. I have like seven or eight points that I want to communicate to you, 
And again, I hope that they will benefit you. Episode 289, what is the best way to handle secret marriage sins? Now, the first thing that you don't want to do is you don't want to have a knee-jerk response. And I think sometimes we just do that. We are quick to speak and slow to listen. And if there's ever a time where we need to be slow to speak and quick to listen, now is the time. And you want to guard against knee-jerk responses. There's two knee-jerk responses, one in each ditch. In one ditch, the person says, oh, you should never tell. And then in the other ditch, you must tell because there should not be any secrets in the marriage. Now, those are two extremes. Now, maybe one of these is correct for Biff. I don't know. But you want to be careful when you say that you should never tell. You want to think about Biff's conscience. You see, when you keep sin secret, sin is not secret. Sin has a way like cancer. And it will eat away at you. And so you want to discern what is going on in Bill's conscience, his internal moral thermostat. Is he damaging it by never telling, in this case, by not telling Mabel? And so you want to be careful. And then the other end, you must tell. You must always tell because there should not be any secrets. Well, in this context... What you want to consider is that confession is not a a one-sided event. Confession happens in a relationship. And so when Biff says that he wants to confess, what is he saying? I want to confess this sin to Mabel. And so you just can't consider Biff. You have to consider Mabel because this is a relationship. And so when you say You must tell because there should not be any secrets. Have you considered the spiritual condition of both the offender, Biff, and the offended, Mabel? That's why you don't want to be quick to speak, but you want to listen and you want to collect more data. And so your automatic first response is, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you should confess. I'm not sure if this is the right time. Let's talk more. It's important to understand that confession doesn't happen in a vacuum, as though confession is an island, that it is isolated from all the other aspects of repentance. Confession is part of a linkage. If someone comes to you asking about confessing their sin to their spouse, you have to examine the full matter because you want to serve them comprehensively. Because if he does confess, well, then there is a responsibility on Mabel to grant forgiveness. And then there's a responsibility on them to reconcile. And then there's a responsibility on them for Biff to put off and for Mabel to help Biff put off for Biff to renew his mind, and for Mabel to help Biff renew his mind, and for Biff to put on a new person, and Mabel to help Biff put on a new person. You see, confession is not an island. It is a linkage of islands that you have to look at from a a macro view. And so you want to guard against knee-jerk reactions. And then number two, you want to be pneumatic. What do I mean? Pneumatos, pneumatology. 
I'm talking about the doctrine of the Spirit. To be pneumatic is to walk in the Spirit. Not only do you want to guard against knee-jerk responses, but you have to realize that every situation is different. No two people, no two couples, no two marriages, no two sin events. No two people's walk with the Lord. No two backgrounds. No two people's current relationship with the Lord. None of those things are the same. And sometimes people will say, well, you know, Bart did this, and he confessed to his wife, and they are just happily ever after. Great and hooray for Bart. Anecdotal evidence is just that. It's an account which could be true, could be false, could be reliable, maybe not, don't know. It's just an account. Now, you can find your encouragement in Bart's story, but it could be a disaster if you follow their unique experience. And so you want to be be pneumatic because you're dealing with a unique individual, and you don't want to map somebody else's experience over what Biff should do, because Biff and Bart are not the same people. And so guard against knee-jerk responses, be pneumatic, and then number three, think about confession timelines. And what I mean about confession timelines is that the Bible does not give a timeline to confess. For example, you sin, you must confess it within 15 minutes. The Bible doesn't teach that. Or, The Spirit brings conviction. You have three days to make it right. Go. The Bible doesn't teach that. And so you don't want to set up artificial, unrealistic timelines for confession to happen. For example, a husband sins against his wife and is ready to receive her forgiveness, but she is not prepared. She's too hurt, and it's not the time, needs to give her some space, needs to work through some stuff so that they can sit down and work through proper repentance. Now, he could say the words, I sin by doing such, such, such. Will you forgive me? But it will be more of a formality without transactional force. It is essential to remember that confessional opportunities require two people who are willing to give and receive. Confession is not Christian speak. It's not a formality, but it is a relational transaction that neutralizes sin by the power of the gospel. Think about that. This is something otherworldly. It is not like saying, I am sorry. It is not the person who is just getting something off his chest to feel better. No, this is a transaction that's happening between two people. And so, therefore, before you uh, tell Biff to go march right in there and confess, you want to care for his soul because the second blunder, his interaction with Mabel, could be just as bad or worse than his first blunder, the actual sin that he committed. And so you want to guard against confession timelines. You sin, you have to confess it within 15 minutes. The Bible doesn't teach such a notion. And then also you want to think about non-confession precedents. There are precedents. There are times 
where you don't confess or shouldn't confess. There are situations where a person can't or should not confess their sin against another person to that person. Let me give you two illustrations. In the case of a dead person, you can't confess. You can't transact. There isn't a coming together of two people to interact about a sin issue in the past with the hope-filled notion of resolution because the person is dead. The best that Biff can do in this situation it is, is an attitudinal-type confession where he works vertically with the Lord to relieve the guilt and then resting in the goodness of God, knowing that he will never be able to confess that sin to Mabel assuming in this case if Mabel was dead. Another illustration where you probably wouldn't confess is in the situation of sexual abuse. And I know there's some people that teach that they teach that the offender, the person who perpetrated the act of sexual abuse, should go and meet with the person that they abused, raped, etc., and confess that, and then there's some kind of transaction that happens in that moment. I think that is unwise, the most charitably way that I could say it. It is dangerous. It is horrific counsel just in a vacuum like that. That's not something that you would ever do. There may be some isolated situations where it could be done, but your first reaction is, no, you're not going to confess that. And so what I'm talking about here is non-confession precedence. There are situations, like if the person's dead, or in the case of sexual abuse, where there isn't a confession and there's not that relational interactivity. There's one other where you overlook an offense. If someone sins against you, you overlook it. If you overlook it, what are you doing? You're saying that they do not have to confess it. I'm not going to confront them to elicit a confession out of them. And so that's where the offended is not asking for the person to confess, and so they can overlook it. Therefore, another non-confession precedent. And so when you're working with someone like Biff who's wanting to confess, and maybe he needs to confess to Mabel you want to work the sequence. And what I mean by working the sequence is confession might not be the first thing that Biff should do. It could be a great idea. It could be something that you are going to counsel him to do, but not the first thing he should do. Because what you want to do is you want to examine all the issues in play here, not just the past hidden sin. And so Bill comes to you and says, I've committed such, such sin in the past against Mabel. I want to confess it. Well, that's one thing that happened. All past secret sins are not the same, and the process will vary. And so before you say, okay, thank you for letting me know, now go confess that to Mabel, you better be asking more questions like, well, Biff, what did you do? How many times did you do it? By the way, when Biff confess, confesses these things, if he does, confesses his sin to Mabel, then Mabel's going to be asking these questions. And you want to be preemptive, and so you want to get inside this and start asking these questions first because more than likely, if Biff has been holding on to this sin for so long that he's not competent 
to lead his wife through this. And so you have to be preemptive here. And so, okay, point number one, you sinned in the past. Point number two, you want to confess it. Okay, good. All right. Number three, Biff, what did you do? How many times did you do it? Is this an episode? Is this a pattern? Do you have a habituation here? Who was involved? What is involved? Biff, what is your plan to bring full restoration to all the parties? Biff won't have that plan more than likely. And so you want to work the sequence. You want to lay out a sequence. And confession will be part of the sequence, but it will not be the first thing. Rarely will it be the first thing that Biff will do. There's probably some other things that he needs to do, and there's more data that you need to collect. And, and part of that is you, you want to study and understand the state of Biff's soul. Is Biff a Christian? What kind of Christian is he? If he is a Christian, is he a mature one? How mature is he? If he is a Christian, could you make a case to Jesus? If Jesus was beside you and you were making a case, you were advocating on Biff's behalf, explaining to Christ why Biff is a Christian, how would you do that? What would be your case? It is imperative that you understand the condition of Biff's soul. For example, if Biff is not a believer, then confessing his sin will not relieve him of his guilt before God. He will not be free of his sin because the wrath of God abides on all people who are not believers in John 3.36. Not only that, an unbeliever is a proud person and God is in opposition to all proud people. And so for him to mouth the words, Mabel, I have sinned, would you forgive me? It would be powerless. There would be no efficacy in it at all. There would be no transformation. His guilt will remain. God will continue to be against him. Is Biff a Christian? Not only that, he would have no spirit power to work through the marriage mess that's going to happen after he admitted to his wife, admitted, meaning confessed, to his wife that he had sinned. And so God is against him. The Spirit of God is not empowering him. Is Biff a Christian? And of course, as I said, is he mature? Is he a mature Christian? How mature is he? You want to be preemptive here and help him to think through these things. It's just not an easy knee-jerk. Yes, you should. No, you shouldn't. One other notion here tied to the state of Biff's soul is this idea of works. There are a lot of people who feel guilty for what they did, and their guilt is tied to this idea of wanting to please God. That They're working, they're not working, they probably wouldn't say they're working for their salvation, but they're working like legalism to stay in good favor with God. And so it's more like ticking a box. I sin, therefore I'll tick the box. And it's, it's, it's this kind of work salvation, works mindset. Well, if Biff is this way, well, then he will never really be free because Christ is the one that frees him. His sin is against God, and, and Christ releases him of that guilt and the pressure and the worry and the anxiety but if it's a more of a works mentality, 
He's not thinking so much vertically. He's thinking horizontally, and he feels the pressure. He feels the weight. He feels uh, remorse because of what he did against his wife, and so therefore he just wants to confess it to her to get it off his chest, but it's not really a God-centered approach to confession, and so when I talk about Christian maturity, you want to examine motivation, and then tied to motivation, you do want to see, is this a method? Is this just in a long line of many techniques that Biff uses to relieve guilt? And what I'm really talking about is the interplay or or the antithesis between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is Biff trying to feel better because the guilt is bothering him. Well, if that's the case, and he's not like David in Psalm 51, when David really came to terms with what he did, David wasn't thinking so much about Mabel or Bathsheba in this case. David was thinking about only one person against you. You only have I sinned. I mean, it was not worldly sorrow. He wasn't thinking horizontal. In fact, when he says it's against you and you only, well, that's, I understand what he's saying. But he did sin against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah, the one he had put to death. He sinned against his children. He sinned against the nation of Israel. He sinned against everybody. But he was so broken by what he did, he can only think in a vertical way. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That is not worldly sorrow, and you want to examine that. Is this a technique, Biff, as a Christian or as a Christianized person, just trying to get something off his chest, or is it truly godly sorrow? He is humble. He is transparent. He wants to do the right thing. He's tired of living a lie. He's tired of manipulating folks. By the way, one of the differences between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, a person who is going through godly sorrow will not negotiate with you. A person who's going through worldly sorrow, it's a technique. It's a self-reliant way. And so he will negotiate with his counselor. Well, yeah, I want to confess it. And then when you start talking about more complexity of what's going on, then they start negotiating. Well, I don't want to do that. I want to do that. It's not like the prodigal in Luke 15 when he came to the end of himself. It's like, I don't even want to be, I mean, just count me as one of your hired servants. I I don't even want to be a, a son of yours anymore. That's the kind of David mindset that you also see in Psalm 51. And so you want to examine the motivation for confessing because that makes a difference. If it's not God centered, as in godless Sarah, his selfishness will drag his wife through something that their marriage cannot sustain. I could see a situation where he's trying to assuage his guilt through self-reliant efforts, just another technique to get through something so that he can feel better about himself and he will not feel better at all. If it's God-centered, well, if it's God-centered and you want to confess it, well, then you're just waiting for the best time. He'll be okay. Biff will be okay. And it'll be like, yeah, God has already freed me from this. I'm already living in the freedom 
of God's forgiveness, now I am ready, positioned, able to start cleaning up my mess horizontally. You see, just because Biff is ready, it doesn't mean that Mabel's prepared to handle his truth. And so if he's truly been forgiven by God, then anxiety is going away. Worry is going away. And there's no pressure to speed up the process. And so you just wait for the best time. And then you get all this data together, and then you make sure that the relationship bridge is built so that now he can have this confession with his wife and they can truly walk through it, which leads to the last point, the state of Bill's marriage. Couples do not mature at the same time, same space, same pace, same depth. Couples are different. Just because you're married together doesn't mean you're just as mature. You're growing at the same pace. You're maturing at the same time. Some all spouses. There's an inequitableness in all spouses. And so you want to take a measure of their marriage to craft a plan for Bill's repentance. Is Mabel, does she have the ability to steward the truth? It is a huge question. Number two, is he are they situated in a church community? Because when he confesses, depending on what the sin is, of course, when he confesses, there's going to be need for community. You just don't want to send him in there confess this thing, and there's no plan. And then you also want to see, are they actively growing? Do they like each other? Or is this just going, will this destroy the marriage? I'm not talking about hiding sin, but I'm talking about now caring for his wife. This is episode 289. The title of it is, What is the Best Way to Handle Secret Marriage Sins? I have a few application questions at the bottom at the end, call to action. You're welcome to read that. And as always, if you have questions for us, please ask. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.